0: join St. Paul's Lutheran Church and pair with Bible study and progress. Good morning again, and uh, welcome to our Bible study on Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse 22 with Peter's sermon on Pentecost. So again, uh, the direct address of Peter here, uh, Israelites hear these words, Jesus the Nazarene, only people from Israel are going to know where Nazareth was specific person, uh, shown forth from God to you by mighty deeds and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, you yourselves know. So again, this very specific audience here uh, uh, who know about the events that have taken place, and now Peter is connecting the dots for them. How does all this fulfill what God had said would happen through his prophets? So we looked already at the uh, Psalm 110. Uh, You did not my abandon my soul to Hades nor give your Holy One to see decay. Especially the words there. Uh, So in verse 29, and I'll just read through this section again to get us started. Uh, Men, brothers, it is possible to say with boldness to you about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is among us up to this day. Right there in Jerusalem. Uh, Therefore, and this is an important therefore. Therefore, because he was a prophet, and knowing that God swore by oath that one from the fruit of his loins, that is David, would sit on his throne, seeing ahead of time, he spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that is, the Messiah, that he would not be abandoned to Hades, nor his flesh see decay. This Jesus God raised, of which we all are witnesses. Therefore, because he is exalted at the right hand of God and receiving the promised Holy Spirit from the Father, he poured this out, which you both see and hear, that is, all the the tongues and fire of Pentecost, So he's connecting the dots for them, right? All this is happening because David said it would happen, and God carried out his plan uh, through Jesus the Messiah. Uh, And then kind of his clincher, again, with David and, and some specific wording from Psalm 16. For David was not taken up into heaven... Right, his tomb is sitting there in Jerusalem. David was not taken into heaven, Peter says, but he himself, that is David, says. And uh, the, the the English is a little cumbersome. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until the time, or until when I place your enemies underneath your feet. So, uh, uh, the reference here again. Uh, is, well, sorry, this is Psalm 110. Uh, no, it is Psalm 16, right? Yeah, sit in my right hand until I place your enemies under your feet. It no, it is 110. I'm sorry. got it mixed up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so verse 1 says to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet." Uh, Again, these are both Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. Uh, You see this also elsewhere, Psalm 132, where there's a reference to uh, the the fruit of David's loins setting on his throne. Um, Translations will generally just say ancestor, to to make it a little cleaner. But these are passages that were known in uh, uh, Jewish teaching of the day, (laughs) as uh, promise passages, that they were expecting, as we've seen throughout the Gospels, that one uh, descended from David would reign on his throne. The question was just, what would that look like? Okay? And so on Palm Sunday, uh, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, uh, as the crowds uh, sing praise to Jesus on his way into Jerusalem. Uh, one of the Midrash, that is a commentary, a commentary, uh, from Jewish rabbis. The dating of these is always uncertain, but it's, a, it's a, sort of a commentary. And one of the comments on Psalm 16, uh, my glory rejoices over the Lord Messiah who will rise from me. So they're kind of putting it in the voice of David, that they're expecting this Lord Messiah who will come from David. Uh, notice those two words again, Lord and Messiah. We're going to see this in Peter's sermon. Lord, a reference to his reign, Messiah, obviously a reference to his uh, uh, being the one chosen by God, the Christos, the the Christ, the Messiah. So the clincher to Peter's argument here is is, uh, this this Psalm 110 quotation. Uh, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I place your enemies underneath your feet. The question that Peter is is posing to the crowd, in Jerusalem here is when would this be fulfilled when uh, what is David talking about and what is the, the fulfillment of this passage well the, the Greek here is, uh, is an interesting word play and it's maybe a little bit more interesting in Hebrew uh, in Greek and in English we use the same word uh, the Lord said to my Lord and, and you know what does that mean? The Lord said to my Lord, "How many lords are there?" Right? In Hebrew, it's actually more specific. Yahweh is the, the first word up there, the, the personal name of God. Yahweh says to my Adonai, to my Lord. So Yahweh says to my Lord is more specific. Sit at my right hand until I bring your or place your enemies under your feet. So the question is, who is David's Lord that Yahweh is speaking to, that Yahweh will fulfill the sin? Well, Peter says, now we know the answer to the question. And we know the answer to the question because God did not let his Holy One see decay. He raised him from the dead. He seated him at the right hand uh, of all power and glory. And so his conclusion comes in verse 36, uh, with certainty, therefore, let all the house of Israel know that, uh, and the word order in Greek is, is a little different here, that both Lord and Christ, God made him, this Jesus whom you crucify. And, and the word order there is, is I think, emphatic uh, for a couple of reasons. You know, the first word is with certainty. With certainty, therefore, know all the house of Israel that both uh, Lord and Christ God made him. This Jesus whom you crucified is the last word. So, again, we kind of mentioned this last week. Uh, If you want to win over a group of people, uh, you, you generally don't want to make them mad at you. You don't want to point out their failures and their flaws and the things that they did wrong, right? Peter's strategy, on the other hand, is to say, look, God had this plan from the beginning. He said it was going to happen in numerous places in the Old Testament. He sent his son who did all these signs and wonders that you yourself saw. Uh, uh, you should have seen the fulfillment of all this from the Old Testament. And what did you do? You killed him. And by the way, what's the last word I'm going to say to you? a reminder that you killed him, <laughs> the one that God sent you killed. Okay, So, so as we mentioned last week, this is, this is very direct law preaching. Uh, but the, uh, 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 the challenge is, or the challenge to the crowd really, is to either acknowledge what Peter has said from the Old Testament, acknowledge what they themselves had seen, uh, be certain about this, the sword uh That Jesus of Nazareth is both Lord and Christ, and it is the work of God. So he leaves it hanging, right? And and I, you know, how how would you portray this in a movie? Uh, uh, I would imagine there's a little bit of conversation after these last words of Peter, right? Because you know, upon this, upon hearing of verse uh, thirty-seven. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what should we do? I, I suspect it wasn't sort of, you know, the Lord be with you and also with you. It probably wasn't that fast. It was uh, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then there was probably a little bit of hubbub and conversation and discussion. And maybe some people weren't too happy with Peter. Maybe they asked him a few questions. Uh, but he just throws down the gauntlet. This Jesus, whom you crucified, God made both Lord and Christ. So, what are you going to do about it now? That's the question, right? What are you going to do about it now? Before we get the answer, a couple of uh, comments on that. Those two terms, God made him both Lord and Christ. It's very specific wording, right? Uh, uh, And these two words are, are of course, very critical uh, for understanding who Jesus is and his work. Uh, They don't occur together very often in this phrase, Lord and Christ. Sometimes you'll simply see the phrase, the Lord Jesus Christ, as as a description. But to say specifically he is Lord and Christ, kind of emphasizing the distinctiveness of those two terms, uh, that's pretty uncommon. Right, uh, and it's related to what what uh, Peter has just preached. Right, uh, the reference to Lord comes from Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, "Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies uh, under your footstool." So he's Lord; he's the one who reigns. As we've seen uh, a few times, as say we went through Philippians, we'll see this many more times as we go through the Book of Acts. The claim that Jesus is Lord is a challenging one in that Roman context because the title Lord belongs to Caesar. And to say that Jesus is Lord is to say that Jesus has more power than anybody on earth. Okay? Um, we'll see when we get to Acts 25, uh, Festus, who's the Roman uh, uh, prefect. Uh, two prefects after, or three prefects after Pontius Pilate, uh, writes this letter about Paul, who's made his appeal to Rome, and he says in his letter, I have nothing to write to the Lord concerning Paul, and by Lord there, he means Caesar. Right? So it's a little confusing when Paul says, or Peter says, that Jesus is Lord, because everybody else is calling Caesar Lord. Okay, So it's a reminder to the people in Jerusalem that in fact, This descendant of David is, in fact, a ruler. He is a king. Okay? But where is his throne? Right? If you were uh, an Israelite looking for a descendant of David, what are you expecting him to do? Sit on a throne. But where is his throne? Well, it's in Jerusalem. Right? Restore the kingdom. We get to have this big land that we had with David and Solomon. It stretches all the way from the Sinai Peninsula up to the north of Sea of Galilee. Heck, it's as big as New Jersey. Wouldn't it be awesome to have all this land again? I'm, I'm being sarcastic, right? It's not very big, right? That's what they're expecting a son of David to be Lord over. Yet, what is this Lord Lord over? Yeah, everything, right? Uh, Lord over all things, sitting at the right hand, uh, uh, reigning over all things. Uh, uh, we'll look at a couple passages in a second. The second term, Lord and Christ, again is related to what he's just walked through. Uh, God foresaw, God foresaid. Uh, he sent Jesus. He raised Jesus. Uh, if there's any question that this Jesus was the one who is the fulfillment of the promises made by God to his people, all that uncertainty is gone because now Jesus has been raised from the dead. So he is Lord, which is a term of his power and authority. He is Christ, which is a term of his uh, standing, his, his affirmation that this is indeed the one who fulfilled all of God's promises. So by using these two words, Peter is saying that the whole story is now wrapped up in this person, Jesus. All the things you've been looking for, all the hopes, the promises, the dreams, all are wrapped up in this one man, Jesus of Nazareth, who is Lord and Christ. Now, you might have a little bit of, uh, maybe, maybe you skip over quick, but you might have a little bit of theological uh, well, it's sort of a, not a normal way we would say <clears throat> that verse 36, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> let the house of Israel know that God made him both Lord and Christ, made him Lord and Christ. Now, generally, uh, when do we like to say that Jesus became Lord? At the beginning, Right. If you go to John 1, right, in the beginning it was the word, the word was with God, the word was or it was God, right? Uh, the word was with God in the beginning. Uh, so he's, he's God from eternity, right, recognized uh, from eternity. Um, Jesus has acknowledged his Lord even at his trial, uh, where he actually quotes Psalm 110, that same uh, psalm that Peter quotes here, uh, acknowledging that he's Lord, uh, The point Peter is making here, though, is that the decisive event where there is no longer any chance to say, well, wait and see. Let's see if this actually happens. See, that now has passed. When God raised Jesus from the dead, there's no longer any question about whether this guy is Lord. Right? I mean, at his baptism, Jesus is acknowledged as Son of, son of, son of God, right? Uh, but how many people accepted that during his earthly ministry? Well, at the end, 11, right? He wasn't overly popular, especially toward the end. There's a lot of confusion, uncertainty. Why is he doing his miracles? What's the point of all this? But once God raises him from the dead, there is no longer any question that this was the guy, Right? Nobody's done that before, and he is preparing a way uh, so that all people can share in the victory that no one else has been able to accomplish, and that is to conquer death, right? The last enemy is death, and this man has conquered it. So if there's any question for you people, uh, you Israelites who saw all this stuff happen, if there's any question now that question is gone, right? Now there is certainty. Uh, it's, it's interesting that the word asphalos there, certainty, uh, that Peter uses is exactly the same words, same word that, he, that Luke uses in chapter 1 of Luke 1, uh, where he writes to Theophilus so that he might know the certainty concerning the things which he was taught. The purpose of Luke's gospel was to give this certainty to Theophilus. And here Peter says, the certainty is found in one event, that God raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, and, and the whole certainty is found in that event, in what God did in Christ. So now there's no longer any, any denying, there's no longer any you know, putting the question off till later. Now you have to decide, what do you do about this? If right? is Jesus is Lord in Christ, which changes everything, or he's not. And you have to explain away the resurrection of the dead. Now, Paul does the same thing, actually, in Romans chapter 1. I want you to uh, keep your finger there, turn to Romans chapter 1. So your typical uh, Paulian introduction, Paul, slave of Christ Jesus, called apostles, set apart for the gospel of God, which he no, notices similarity to Peter's preaching here, which he promised beforehand through his apostles in the holy writings, in the holy scriptures uh, concerning his son, uh, who was descended from David according to the flesh. Notice the David line again. And here's the key word. uh, Declare to be Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ Christ our Lord. Notice that phrase again. Declare to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And what's his title? Jesus Christ our Lord. So you have the same themes going on. He's Lord, and he's acknowledged such because of his resurrection. He's the son of David, as such he's the Christ. This was spoken of beforehand by the prophets, right? And now it is clear and evident uh, uh, to all people. And then even verse 5, "...through whom uh, we have received grace and apostleship unto the obedience of faith among all the nations." Uh, 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 including you, sorry, for the sake of his name, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus, right? It's essentially Peter's sermon, right? Including you who are called to be of Christ Jesus. Uh, so this, this uh, uh, recognition again that the resurrection of Jesus is, is the single decisive event uh, you take that out of the equation and nothing else matters. Right? It's uh, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, then my preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Right? There's no faith apart from the resurrection of Jesus. Right? So, so why do we worship on Sunday instead of Saturday, which the commandment said was the holy day? because of the resurrection, right? That shapes and defines everything, right? Uh, the resurrection from the dead. But, knew uh, I could count on you for a just question. Just a
1: comment. Uh, you had started out saying that he's talking to people who just witnessed the events of the Passion. Yep. The whole shebang. And... Uh, 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 we also hear that there are guys from all over the known world. They right. They travel off. Yep. So the yep. idea that the gospel is being preached around the world on Pentecost Sunday it's already uh, is already starting is kind of an interesting uh, perspective. It's already
0: starting. Yeah. And it's it's, it's also I'm sure Dr. Osh will talked about this of fulfilling uh, the promises of the nations coming to Jerusalem and and uh, 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 hearing the word. Right, receiving the word, seeing the fulfillment of the promises. Right. Um, uh, he is pretty specific, though. I mean, this Jesus whom you crucify. <laughs> um, uh, so, so it is a both and. It is a both and, right? So here's a picture of Jesus in glory. I don't know if it really is. But, but, but it, is, uh, uh, it is a common theme, actually, in Eastern art. Uh, uh, the the phrase up there, Jesus Christ, Anika, Conqueror, like Nike, you know, your uh, athletic shoes it means victory. Well, it's they stole that from Jesus. You should get copyright on that, I guess. You know, some some fees, but but uh, it's very it's very common in the Eastern tradition, especially to depict Jesus as the glorified one uh, rather than as the one on the cross. Uh, it's just a slightly different emphasis, uh, but. Uh, you know, based on Acts chapter 2, Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 15, you kind of got a good reason to do that, right? It's, it's the singular uh, decisive events of uh, demonstrating with certainty uh, that, that Jesus is Lord and Christ. I think it's also interesting, too, the way, if you recall, Peter where is it, uh, started by talking about the, the signs and mighty deeds and wonders that all the people saw. See, that wasn't the decisive evidence. right? The fact that Jesus was healing lepers and opening eyes of the blind and even raising dead people, that wasn't decisive evidence. right? It was pretty cool. It was important. It showed the, the reign of God. It showed that Jesus was Son of God. But it wasn't the decisive evidence. The decisive thing was the resurrection from the dead. right? Uh, that's the, the critical event. Uh, in some ways... If you don't, well, not in some ways, it's just a fact. If you don't have the resurrection from the dead, you don't have uh, a Jesus who's a Savior. You have a Jesus who did some cool stuff. You have a Jesus who did some, uh, who said some interesting things. But you don't have a Savior. Right? It's the resurrection uh, that demonstrates that he is Lord and Christ. Right? And that that does any good to us right, who, are, who are far off. Any other thoughts on that? This is not really kind of new, but just to but,
1: throw away a, a word there in thirty-four, where he says, about uh, David says," present yeah. tense
0: verb. Oh, right. And I don't know if
1: that's normal with the with the Jewish rabbis. Yeah,
0: that's a, yeah, it's pretty typical. I mean, it's sort of like we would say the Bible says, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, it, it, probably more important is in verse 31. You've got that perfect tense participle, knowing beforehand he spoke, so he's in, kind of in the state of knowing. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, so there, you know, there's some interesting kind of playing with verbs on, on occasion. Uh, but because uh, he is saying, look, David's still in his tomb, right? But he's speaking through the word, right? All right, so uh, uh, Peter finishes, you crucified this guy. We've had the, the hubbub, the conversation. You had a comment, Paul? No. The, the conversation, trying to figure out what this means. Uh, and, um, and then verse 37. Uh, upon hearing, they were uh, uh, cut to the heart. That's an interesting phrase. Uh, and said to Peter, and the rest of the Apostles, uh, <laughs> what should we do, brothers? <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like a funny question, but it's, you know, get, get what they're saying. So far up to this point, we've gotten everything else wrong. Right? Uh, we blew the miracles. We blew the Palm Sunday thing. We blew the Passion. We blew the Crucifixion. We missed the Resurrection. You know, the Pentecost thing, we thought you guys were drunk, right? <laughs> so far we've gotten every answer wrong, so now what should we do? Finally, right, finally, just, we're not going to try to figure this out. We're going to let you tell us what the answer is, right? I mean, you see that? Uh, how many times in the Gospels did we see the disciples uh, think they know, knew what Jesus was talking about, and then Jesus had to cut them off, Right? Uh, so, brothers, uh, what should we do is, in a sense, already uh, a form of repentance. Right? We can't figure this out. Uh, if you want to quote Luther, uh, we cannot by our own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit is calling me by the gospel. Right. So, so, in a sense, they're already acknowledging their, their weakness and their inability to understand. What now? So, uh, 38. Uh, Great line. Uh, Peter says to them, very familiar, Repent, he says, there's an interesting fix in there, but, uh, Repent, he says, uh, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, unto the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise... You might even say this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are distant or far off, whomever the Lord our God calls. will call. Sorry, it's future. will call. Uh, verse 40, and with many other words... So Luke has given us the abbreviated version here. With many other words, he exhorted them saying, uh, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So let's just kind of stop there before we get the response. Uh, uh, So notice, brothers, what should we do? And how much of the answer is actually doing something, right? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the name, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right. Now, in a sense, they've already repented. They've already acknowledged that they, they don't understand this stuff. They need guidance and direction. Um, uh, baptized into the name of Jesus Christ is uh, a marking, an identification that indeed he is Lord and that we belong to him. And once we are in his kingdom, what comes with that? Forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, So again, these are the people who uh, blew Good Friday (laughs) uh, big time. And the solution to blowing that. The, the forgiveness of sins comes simply in repenting and being claimed by Jesus. Right? Having his name called upon them, uh, uh, mark, marking them as one belonging to Christ crucified. And then everything comes with it. Forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and, and the same promise is for everybody. Hey, notice it's not Brothers, what should we do? Well, okay, Uh, we're going to take you through a whole restudy of the Old Testament. Uh, We're going to make you do five laps around Jerusalem, uh, 35 push. I mean, there's there's nothing, right? There's nothing. Jesus has accomplished all the work, or God accomplished it through Jesus, and it comes purely as gift. Doria, there is the gift, or is the word. Uh, The gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, once you belong to Christ, then everything that comes with that is yours. Right? And how does that happen? It happens by his grace uh, and his mercy. Keeping in mind, again, that these are the people uh, who are, you might say, most guilty. Uh, they put the Son of God to death, yet they receive forgiveness and the Holy Spirit as a gift. Right, Purely by God's mercy. Uh, And then it it expands beyond that. The promise is for you and your children and all who are distant, whomever the Lord our God uh, will call. So it's not just you guys who are part of this. It's everybody. Everybody will be in this. And it reflects what we saw in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus tells the disciples that they will be his witnesses, uh, beginning in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, so this is, uh, this is simply uh, the way the gospel comes to individuals. Uh, Jesus did the work, and by God's grace and mercy, uh, he gives that as a gift uh, to all who receive faith in him. That's, that's it. That's it. Yeah.
1: Ah, right. And they stop short, and so unless you have a conversation, and and that's possible in that situation,
0: at times they'll walk away believing that. Believing that they need to. That the power of baptism that it's for your repentance. Oh, oh, okay. For remit
1: the remission of sins, because this looks like a word. The way it stands. Oh, the way it, looks it stands. Word.
0: Yeah. Okay. Means of grace. Yeah. Well, except. Notice uh, what first has to happen is the word has to come. So the proclamation of who Jesus is and what he did and and the call to repentance is there, right? Uh, and, and notice the response of, uh, I don't know what to do, right? And, and the response is simply, stop doing that. Now, uh, uh, here's where we've got to be careful about about uh, how we understand faith or describe faith. Because uh, uh, in many ways, internally, it looks like we do something, right? Uh, like we decide to do this. Like I decided to get up this morning and come to church and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I decided to do that. And I decided to come to Bible study. And I decided, you know. It. So, so internally, uh, it's just natural to think that way because we think that we are, Autonomous individuals We have free will We can, we can make our own decisions um, But, but you've got to take a few steps back In all this right? Uh, um, why were they in Jerusalem In the first place uh, uh, How did the word do its work Before Anything even happened Notice they were cut to the heart Before they decided to do anything in other words, uh, God's word was doing the work, uh, and and they received it as such. Now, they could have walked away, right, and, and said thanks, no thanks, and apparently some did. Uh, but the word is the one doing the work, and and while it seems that we're involved in that process, uh, it's it's the Holy Spirit doing the work, right? So then your advice would be make sure you take it. Don't pull this out because it really right. does look like a word, particularly when they say, What
1: shall
0: we do? Right. Yeah. You cannot isolate this right. from the rest of Scripture. Right. Well, yeah, and what shall we do is simply trust in the promise. Mm-hmm. Right? The promise is there. You can either trust that God, who has promised all this before and now fulfilled it, has more promises to give. You can either trust that or or not. And it's a. You know, another way to come at it, too, might be, I think, hopefully, um, uh, since we're Lutheran and it's the Augsburg Confession Day, right, uh, this is not a one-time thing, right, uh, that, that the struggle against uncertainty, uh, the struggle against sin uh, is, a, is an ongoing daily activity, right? And so, you know, again, it's, it's the catechism, but by daily contrition and repentance, the old man die and the new man rise to life that we live purely by grace each day, and God's word of promise comes to us afresh each day uh, to keep and sustain us in that faith. Uh, And and if it really were up to our activity, we all know uh, that that we'll blow it, whether it's going to be tomorrow or two years from now or ten years from now. Uh, If it were dependent on us, we would blow it. There's no certainty in what we do. right? The certainty is in what God has done. Good. Uh, but you're right, it, it is human nature to think that we do something, and what that gives us then is, see, now God owes me something. See, uh, I decided to do this, and doesn't that make me special in God's eyes? And now shouldn't he give me a new car or whatever it's going to be, or, or fix this or fix that, right? Uh, it's, it's, it, it's, uh, it's, it's dangerous and it's deceptive.
1: I think Dr. Vels used to say, "Don't shy away from using Newtonian." Yeah,
0: I'm not going to use Newton and Einstein in this setting. Yeah. Again, right? All right. yeah. <laughs> the the
1: yeah. idea that when the jailer in Philippi says, "What yeah. must I do to be saved?" Yeah. He doesn't shy away from saying, "Believe on the Lord yeah. Jesus Christ." Yeah. The other thing that comes in here is baptized into the name of uh, Jesus. Right. Uh, and so again, this is going to be an action of the Holy Spirit. Right
0: that's uh, a setting apart a calling a placing recognized upon how
1: have that word be baptized into the name of this audience
0: well that's yeah that's interesting because John had been doing bat- baptisms and he specifically said look my baptism is just one of repentance it's, it's just one of saying okay I'm going to you know John's baptism is what you're describing right okay I'm going to stop what I'm doing I'm, I'm going to you know I'm not going to be a mean soldier and all the stuff he's talking to the soldiers there and the, the tax collectors and all that kind of stuff uh, that's just one of, okay, I'm going to make my life better. Uh, baptizing in the name of Jesus means this name is, is called upon you, and you are now in his, in his realm. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, we've seen this any number of times, but here's, here's the kingdom of God, and you are there either inside it or outside it. And how do you get inside it? You have that name placed on you. You are brought into it, right? Uh, transferred into as some of the languages in the New Testament. Uh, so so baptized into the name of Christ means you are now in this category, in this group, and not outside of here. Not, you know, left doing your own thing, uh, but now you belong to him. And if you belong to him, then the promises follow. Right. To Bud's point,
1: one thing that helps continue conversation is to have people look at the words themselves, because it says repent and be
0: baptized. Yeah, right. Be Right. So you can be 80 years old and wheel yourself in the
1: middle of the Jordan River, and you are not baptizing yourself. Right. So that usually allows some time for um, consideration.
0: Good. Good. Yep. Excellent. Yeah. Be baptized. It's a passive activity, uh, uh, which means there's somebody doing it, and who's doing it? It's somebody from within the community, right? I mean, it's 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 always being brought into this this people. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Uh, Good. Um, Yeah, always be nice. I gave you a mean explanation there. (laughs) Good. Uh, The other part of this is verse uh, verse 40. Um, With many other words, uh, he bore witness and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. That's the same word, interestingly, we saw in Philippians, right? Uh, uh, Be children of God. Uh, are children of light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine like lights in the sky. Uh, uh, <laughs> and again, the, the, what he's saying is uh, there's, there's only two places to be. Uh, you are either in this crooked generation or you are in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, you're, you're, there's only two, two categories. Uh, we've seen this again and again in Jesus' ministry, right? There's either, either a seed that bears fruit or a uh, seed that does not bear fruit, one or the other. Uh, um, uh, so the the starting point in verse 40 is not in a good place. Uh, and the solution is what Christ has done and having that forgiveness and that name uh, called upon you. Uh, so it's a warning again. Uh, don't don't stay on this track because it's going nowhere. All right. uh, so again, I, I really I wonder how long you know this conversation happened uh, between this Jesus whom you crucified and verse forty one. You know, it seems like there's this, this dialogue happening, this this conversation. Uh, they probably pulled out their their uh, well, if they were carrying around scrolls necessarily, but but. Uh, looking up Old Testament passages, what about this passage? What about this passage? You know, and, and uh, you know, is it really, is it really the answer? Is it really the fulfillment of the promises? And and Peter's answer is, look, God raised him from the dead. You know, know with certainty. Uh, the uh, uh, I'll give you one Israel story from a few weeks ago. Uh, one of the, the striking things to me, uh, uh, about being there, and what's that? Well, I'll just show you the picture. Uh, this is from Mount Arbel, which is not mentioned in the New Testament, but it's right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, this is on the east side, or west side, and you're looking at, uh, this, well over the side of the cliff here is Magdala, you've got in up here, uh, Capernaum, Bethsaida, it's about two and a half square miles, where 60% of Jesus' ministry happens at least of what's described in the Gospels. And, and you got, did I, did I talk about this last week? No, or was I somewhere else? Anyway, uh, you got the disciples who followed Jesus up to uh, Galilee after the resurrection in Matthew 28. And, and you remember, some feared and some believed, so it's all a little, little crazy. It takes them up to a high place. Maybe it's this high place. Maybe it's a hill over here. Who knows? Anyway, uh, he says, go and make disciples of all nations from this place right? His, his, his ministry has been here, 60% of his ministry, when he, when he went to Jerusalem, they killed him, right? And, and he says, go and make disciples, not just to this, this little group of people in Galilee, go and make disciples of all people, right? So far, you've been hanging out here and catching fish, but you're going to make disciples of all people. If you, I didn't put a map of the world up there. But in comparison to the world, this is pretty tiny, right? This is pretty small. It's a pretty ambitious statement to make, right? And Peter echoes this in verse uh, uh, 39. The promise is for you and your children and all who are distant, all whom the Lord our God will call. That that this is not just a, hey, we're going to have a nice little club here. We're going to hang out in Jerusalem. It's going to be a good time. That there's this uh, uh, right from the beginning. Because Jesus is Lord of all, that means that all people need to be a part of this. Uh, and the the, the the outreach, the expansion, the sharing of the good news is, is part and parcel of the resurrection of Jesus and his proclamation that he is Lord. Uh, uh, the last thing uh... that this is about is to make ourselves comfortable right? this is all about the the recognition and the claim that this jesus has brought salvation for all people and all people are to be brought into this uh, by the proclamation of this exact same message right? and it's it's uh... i mean it's just amazing how here two thousand years later uh... it's the same message right? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? Uh, uh, this Jesus whom God raised, uh, he has made both Lord and Christ. Right? It's the same message, and here we are you know, at the ends of the earth from Jerusalem, and, and the gospel continues its work. Uh, and we still live in a crooked generation. <laughs> Uh, maybe even more so. And so verse 41, the the conclusion. uh, Those who received his message, and here's where you're going to get some some argument, right, from those who think this is a, uh, we have to do something. But those who received the word or message uh, were baptized and added on that day day, about 3,000 people. 3,000 souls. So those who received his word were baptized and added on that day, that very day, uh, about 3,000 souls. Which, which means, I mean, you take the flip side of that, some people walked away. I mean, we don't get a number of how many people were, were there uh, and heard all this conversation. Uh, 3,000 stayed, uh, others walked away. Um, uh, but the numbers were added, and uh, 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 the word continued. So a couple, of, uh, uh, a couple of thoughts and questions on this. And I want to keep the specifics of this text here. What does the forgiveness given to those who crucified Jesus mean for us and other people? What does the forgiveness given to those who crucified Jesus mean for us? In other words, this is very specific. Uh, What we're doing, it's almost like a Sunday morning here, and uh, uh, somebody has, you know, the windows are open because it's a beautiful St. Louis summer day when it's not 105 degrees, and they hear the pastor saying, right, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's like we're listening in on somebody else being absolved. In this passage right Um, but we're overhearing this right we're hearing this same message and uh, this message is meant not only for the people in Jerusalem it's meant not only for us it's meant for all people I guess I'm answering my own question (laughs) Uh, but what does it mean Uh, repent and be baptized uh, for the forgiveness of your sins you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit Okay, uh, we, we crucified him, too, in what sense? OK, OK. But, and it, so we crucified him in a sense that our sin made his death necessary, right? Uh, and so we are in need of forgiveness. Uh, at the same time, I mean, they were there, right And, and they participated in the events. Um, but, they're no more but they're no more guilty, right? If they can be forgiven of that, is there anything that we cannot be forgiven of? Right. Is there anyone, anything anyone cannot be forgiven of? Right. That's the point of Jesus' work. Uh, it's forgiveness. Uh, it's, a, it's a washing away. It, it accomplishes everything. There is nothing that cannot be forgiven because of the work of Jesus. Right. Nothing that cannot be forgiven. That is the sum and substance of, of the gospel message, that Christ's work accomplishes everything. And I know that's, that's uh, easy to say, but I also know that it's hard to hear sometimes. It's hard to forgive people who do things to us. Uh, it's hard sometimes to think that we are actually forgiven. Uh, we carry the guilt, we carry the shame, uh, but in Christ, they are completely done with. Right? Even the worst possible sins, crimes, whatever you want to call it, uh, are are forgiven, done uh, because of Christ's work. And what did they have to do to earn it? You know, I mean, how are you going to add to that? Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Oh. Oh, but you got. But you have to think in happy thoughts in your heart. Well, it's just crazy. His work accomplishes everything. Right, pure and free. Um, Verse thirty nine. Yeah, the promise is for you, your children, all who are far off. Moreover, the Lord our God will call. See, the Lord is the one who calls. Right, it's His work. Um, it, I do want to mention, too, before we, we drop off here, uh, save yourselves from this crooked generation. There is, there is something that follows, right? When we are in Christ, there is, there is something different that happens, right? Uh, we're not the same people we were earlier. Uh, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are able to do things that we would not otherwise do, uh, things like love and sacrifice. And we'll see in a few verses uh, uh, selling our goods and sharing with those who are in need. Right. Uh, There's a way of living that's different because we have been brought into this kingdom and we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's a a a cleansing aspect to the work of the Spirit in baptism, but there's also a regenerative aspect, a, a new life that comes from it. So we'll look at Galatians and things later on uh, that reflect this. Um, uh, But it's this constant challenge, this constant uh, life we live today where we still live in this crooked generation. Uh, Yet we trust in the promises of what Christ has done for us uh, or what he has done, the promises of what that means for us and the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, who keeps us in this faith day after day. All right. Thanks. Uh, so just a note, next week uh, there will be no Bible study here. I apologize. I couldn't find a sub, and I'll, I'll be out of town for Fourth of July weekend. So no Bible study next week. you got pastor studies, uh, uh, all the pastor studies. Uh, but we will be back on the 8th uh, and, uh, and continue with Chapter 2. Okay? Thanks.